Hello and welcome to the Celtic Way Morning Briefing live on Monday, December the 19th. Uh, there's no Tony Haggard today because his house is full of workies and they've switched his electricity off. So joining me today is TCW news writer Aidan McDonald. How's tricks, Aidan? You all good? Yeah, I'm good, Tony. Uh, Sean, sorry. Oh. <laughs> oh, shocking start. Mere seconds in and you've already offended it. That's the thing. <laughs> uh, now, conspiracy theorist among you might think Tony's just avoiding coming on here today because a certain Lionel Messi won the World Cup um, and potentially thinking that Aidan, you were likely shaping up to wind uh, Mr Haggerty up. I don't know. Given his Diego Maradona arguments are getting thinner by the day. Uh, do you reckon that's, that's accurate, Aidan? Are you ready to wind him up? I had a full script prepared, Sean, but unfortunately <laughs> I can't use it. So, so mate, I'm sure there'll still be another opportunity I can bring it up to him. Well, you were triggering him left, right and centre in that uh, that group chat of ours yesterday. That goes without saying. Um, I think he was a tad annoyed. A tad annoyed that he's, yeah, he's, yeah. El Diego was by by a byproduct of him wearing it was El Diego getting some pelters. So, um, nah, no, Tony, as I say, um, we'll come to that final and how we finished our predictor as well uh, in due course. But first of all, can I just remind you all that we're far, far more than a podcast. Uh, we're running a cracking Christmas subscription deal just now that is £1 for two months of full access uh, to the website or 25% off the yearly price. So that's your in-depth scouting reports, data-led features, opinion pieces from the likes of Tony, myself, Aidan, Kevin McKenna, big interviews and a whole lot more besides. The link is in the description and I'll put it in the comments as well. And uh, I get on that for a wee, a wee pre-Christmas cracker, Aidan, as Tony likes to say. Um, yeah. So, Aidan... Without further ado, we're not we're not going to the World Cup final first. We'll go to the more important game, which is Aberdeen nil Celtic one. Uh, general thoughts on Celtic's performance on the standout performers? Uh, firstly, I thought the overall performance was was pretty good. I know probably if you just see the result, you think, and you see the goal came quite late. It must have been quite a tight match, but I think anybody could see Celtic completely dominated. I'm sure we'll go on and maybe talk about. Uh, other reasons outside of Celtic's performance for that, given Aberdeen's tactics, etc. But I thought overall the performance was quite good, Sean. Particularly given that for the last five weeks, a lot of those players have only really played, had some minutes in the Sydney Super Cup, which itself was a few weeks ago now. And then they played a friendly against Wren. Outside of your, your World Cup uh, participants, a lot of them haven't played that much football. So I thought they looked relatively sharp overall. It wasn't perfect, but... They got the job done in the end, and I, I never felt like they were going to lose the game. Obviously, there might be a slight concern that you maybe weren't going to get a goal, but overall, I thought it was quite a, a strong strong enough performance given the circumstances. In terms of the, the best performance, I thought McGregor was excellent. Even if he hadn't uh, scored mm-hmm. his goal, I would have probably had him down as man of the match, to be honest. I thought the way he was distributing the ball from the back was superb. You've seen the, the passing numbers that he was putting up were exceptional. He was really controlled both defensively and going forward, so... Yeah, he, he was a standout for me, Sean. Uh, David Ferguson saying our stats were incredible on Saturday. You you kind of referenced one of them there. Callum McGregor out past the whole Aberdeen team. Yes. Um, 173, 136, so it's not particularly close either. Um, he set a record for an individual this season in the, the Premiership in any game. But And I kind of wrote this in a piece that I'll, I'll put the link to in, in the comments. I wrote something today and it, it kind of... It was just as, as, as delightful as it is to say that about McGregor on his first game back and that kind of passing stat. It's just as damning about the, the Don's performance to me. Um, I thought, given that he had three, four weeks to prepare his team, knowing that he was going to be playing Celtic, and as I say, I worked up there for years, so I still keep an eye on the, the, the reports up there and stuff. 
there was talk of a, a game plan and uh, in, in the run up to it. Now, in the aftermath, Jim Goodwin still said, "Oh, this is our game plan to contain them and hit them on the, the counter attack." But I would take exception to the framing of what they were doing as counter attacking football because just lumping it and hoping that something happens isn't the same as playing counter attacking football. Um, I worked up with Evan Derek McInnes was the Aberdeen manager and he was routinely lambasted for not giving Celtic more of a game for performances that were a lot better than what Aberdeen put in under Jim Goodwin uh, on Saturday. And, and as we talked about on Friday, we were getting into that game thinking, well, there's a chance they might actually have a goal because their home record is really, really good. Nine out of ten in all competitions uh, before Celtic came on Saturday. Six out of seven in the league. But it just didn't it just didn't turn out like that. They it kinda of went into a shell, Aiden. Yeah, it Aberdeen. I don't think they'd even register a shot on target. I don't think they did. They two they... shots. One two was shots. the one was the Leighton Clarkson uh, free kick that right, Duke, okay. Duke dived to get. And then ninety second minute was the next one, uh, McCrory, I think it was just a, a kind of pot shot. So okay. two shots a whole game to Celtics thirty three. Now I know you say it's one nil. It really, the XG, the race chart and stuff on the data match report that was up on the site yesterday kind of suggests it should have been a two or three goal margin of victory, really. And as Postacoglu was right when he said after the game that Celtic should have won by more. But aye, uh, what were you going to say there about Aberdeen's kind of tactics? Yeah, I was, I was just going to say that it's just must be so destroying to watch that regularly, to be honest. I mean... I don't, I don't think they watch it regularly. That's the thing. I don't think they, they don't play like that. They don't. They don't usually play yes, like that. That's why it's so disappointing to see it. Well, maybe if I reframe it, it's kind of more regular against Celtic and Rangers than even mm-hmm. the way they set up. Yeah. I, I know Jim Goodwin had talked about in the run up to the game that he was spotted to sort of try and recreate St. Mun's performance against Celtic. Obviously, that worked for St. Mun in that game. They got a 2 0 victory, but mm-hmm. uh, Aberdeen never really got into really the attacking positions to actually get those chances to score. And to be honest, I, I don't think there could have been any complaints if it did end 3-4, even 5-0. Uh, the only difference was that, obviously, it took Celtic getting a late goal. Maybe that puts... Maybe that sort of doesn't make his tactics look quite as bad, but it's just... I, I can understand when Celtic are playing, like, no disrespect to you, obviously, like Livingston, etc. Because, mm-hmm. obviously, the budget... Obviously, there's still a big budget uh, difference between Celtic and Aberdeen. I get that, but understand for teams near the bottom of the league why they would play like that just given the way this sort of budgetary constraints just with the players have got at their disposal but Aberdeen you know for a team that's further in the league that all right they don't have anywhere near as much money as Celtic or Rangers but still have a decent enough budget do you know what I mean I, I don't understand why they would set up like that to be honest and I know you were saying Derek McInnes used to do something similar and get one bastard for it but I don't know. I, I was surprised about how defensive Aberdeen were at home, to be honest, Sean. Mm-hmm. It was uh, what I would say is, and, and this is the kind of that's that's the kind of go-to thing from from certainly from fans of other clubs when they're talking about Celtic, but is that oh well the the disparity in, in finances and stuff. But Celtic showed in the Champions League, even if you're, I mean, Celtic still played their football in the Champions League, whether yeah. it worked or not. Is up for the bait because Celtic had the chances, didn't take them, but ultimately, no, it didn't work because they never even got any Europa League from it. But in terms of Aberdeen, as I say, they don't usually play like that. That was, and I don't, I don't want to use it all the time, but it is, it was anti football. Um, there was no intention, no, no kind of, no intention of winning that game. Not even really any intention of passing the ball, to be honest. Um, so from what I understand, a lot of the fans are annoyed, and, and I think that's the right to be annoyed with that. Would they have been just as annoyed if he did get the point? 
Probably not, but at the same time, I'd known what, known what it's like up there. They're a proud fan base. They would have still been saying, well, that's not the way that we should be playing against Celtic, that kind of thing. Um, from Celtic's point of view, and, and Beach Boys puts in a comment here saying, just point out basically that Jim Goodwin was only a couple of minutes away from getting a point. Would anybody moan if, did anybody moan if Celtic did that against Barcelona? I, I would go as far as to say Celtic didn't play exactly like that against Barcelona. Um, there was more of a there was more thought in it than than just what Aberdeen done at the weekend, uh, and then he rightly points out at the end that it's up to Celtic to break it down. Now they did break it down, so Aberdeen went and played that game and got nothing for it uh, except criticism from their own fans and everybody else. Really, uh, Aidan is what I would say. Yeah, it was a kind of relief uh, in the end that Celtic did manage to break it down, just given the circumstances. Obviously, with. Uh, Rangers beating Hibs in that in that game coming a wee bit earlier. You wanted to make sure you still had the nine point lead come uh, the end of the weekend. But I, I, even like you say, even if Aberdeen had got the point, obviously the fans on paper would be delighted. But from what you were kind of saying from your experience up there, uh, they still would have been had been quite critical of how their how their team played. But obviously they would have been like that. Ah, well, we've got the point. But yeah, it was Celtic could have easily won that game if they'd been a bit more clinical. I'm sure we'll mention maybe individual chances, but. I know there was at least a couple that have been a bit more clinical. It could have been two or three now before McGregor even scored later on. So, but they got there then, which is all that matters. But. Um, a couple of people are, are commenting here about individuals, Kyogo missing chances, that kind of thing. But I do want to go a positive. I thought Leal Abada had a really good game when he came on at half-time, Aidan. Yeah, Abada was really good. And I think sometimes he maybe has a sort of stigma around him of he's, if he's not contributing a goal, or maybe an assist. Sometimes he can be quite quiet in games, or I would never go far to say that means he, he never contributes anything when that's the case. But sometimes, you know, he can be a bit quieter. But even though he didn't contribute a, a goal or assist in that Aberdeen game, he was really dangerous when he came on. You know, he was taking on their fullback. He put at least two or three really good crosses in that were just mm-hmm. waiting for somebody to get to them. Uh, which, if one of them goes in, then he's added his assist charts. But yeah, and he also had a couple of shots as well. I think that sort of. One near the end, it was right at the sort of near post for the Aberdeen goalie. That sort of sprung Celtic into the action in the sort of dying period of the game, which I think it was a couple of minutes after they ended up getting their goal. So Abada had a really, really positive contribution. It's definitely one of the sort of best performances I've seen from him that didn't include a goal, I would say, because mm-hmm. uh, he was really, really dangerous when he came on. You could see Aberdeen were struggling. So to, if he can keep putting in performances like that, if he's not going to, in games he's not going to score, then it's a real positive. Uh, Max Stark coming in saying he thought Abada was very good when he came on and then pointing out that he thinks Dyson Maida struggles against teams that sit in like Aberdeen did. Uh, I think Tony gave him a four or a five Maida uh, for his first half performance. I, I don't disagree. I think um, when it's to the extreme that the, the, the opponents like Aberdeen and Saturday sit in, I do wonder the wisdom of starting uh, Dyson Maida from, from, well, from the start, obviously, because he's more of a... I mean, he, he always gives you the effort. He always gives you... He's always liable to win the ball back high up the park and stuff. Um, but in terms of actually breaking a team that does that down, I think you're looking more like the Jota type. I, don't get me wrong, I didn't necessarily think Abada was the man to come on and do it, and he did. Um, I realise he never got the assist, but he very much should have got an assist for that Kyogo chance, I think. Um, so I see where Max is coming from in terms of Maida. Um, I think Haksabanovic picking up that knock perhaps maybe change the team, because I think he might have started, um, knowing that he's got a, a bit more guile than, than the likes of Maida and Abada, uh, and that might have been different. Nonetheless, Maida started, he got the nod, as he often does, because he's, he's one of one of the kind of main guys for Ange Postacoglu when it comes to team selection. 
that Tony's probably right. He didn't do enough, and I think Ange substituting him at half time probably reflected that in. Yeah, he, he did struggle a bit, and I think maybe that was probably to do with Aberdeen's tactics as well, with him sitting in. Maybe he just couldn't have the input in the game that he would have wanted. I, I think probably Tony's sort of rating on, on his performance was fair enough, I would say. Uh, we, we know how much of a quality player he can be. I mean, we've seen it in the World Cup plenty of times, but yeah, it just, it just wasn't his day. And I think not having had Sabanovic, that was a bit of a blow, to be fair. I know obviously Celtic got the result, but I'd imagine, like you said, He'd have been a certain starter for Ange, so hopefully he's okay. Uh, if whether or not we obviously don't know if he's, he's going to be available, I don't think for the Livingston game that's not been commented on yet. I don't think. No, but, but he did kind of say that it was just a minor knock, so minor I wouldn't rule it out yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll be asked tomorrow, I suppose, at the at the press up. Presser, yeah. So if we could get Haxavanovich back, even if it's just an option off the bench for these sort of next two or three games, uh, I think that would be big. But yeah, what but with. Uh, Haxabanovich not being there, uh, Maida maybe struggling about that gave a bad opportunity to come on and uh, have a excuse me have a real uh, influence on the game. So yeah, it, it wasn't the best performance of Maida, but I'm, I'm sure he'll get out of his system and he'll. It wouldn't surprise me if he maybe hasn't started the next game, but Ange does like him, so I, I think we'll still be getting plenty of minutes over this sort of festive run. Uh, David Ferguson coming in saying he's went from happily waiting until the summer to bring one striker in. To thinking that Celtic desperately need two in in January. Do you agree with that, Aidan, or is that, is that overkill a wee bit? I would like them to try and bring one striker in, regardless of what happens with the obviously situation around the Jack and Marcus. Two strikers, I, I don't know if I could see that unless, well, unless Jack and Marcus was to leave, to be honest. Hmm. And I don't know if maybe Keogh goes to get injured or something during the, the January sort of transfer window period. I don't think I could see them bringing in two, but one. At least that I would say I would be quite happy with that, just as I saw a, an, another option. But you might want Ross saying got to be first team ready strikers though, no projects. Um, mm, yeah. Suppose that 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 kind of chimes with Yakamakis's. Well, I see people saying like a game time. It's probably like a start rather than like a game time because there's not that much between the two of them. Um, Kyogo's Kyogo's record and underlying stats are still better than Yakamakis's. So I think although people remember the fact that he misses a couple of sitters. Um, I think Kyogo's still the first choice. But if you're struggling to get last season's joint top scorer in the team from the start, then realistically, if you're signing any strikers, they need to be better than both, or they're just going to be in the same predicament. Yeah, it would have to be somebody who was going to come in was either like a really, really, really top young prospect or somebody that was already in my peak that is going to come in and challenge. The way that sort of Yakimakis was able to just kind of slot in as soon as Kyogo mm. wasn't there. He was, and obviously at times he's played ahead of Kyogo, particularly in the end of last season. That would have to be somebody like that. I think that would be the sort of player the manager would go for. Obviously, no transfer is ever a guarantee. You can hope to bring in somebody who's going to be the main striker, maybe it doesn't work out. But I mm-hmm. think if we were to bring in a striker, it would be someone that could challenge him. I don't think it would be, uh, you know, like a, quite a, well, somebody who's going to potentially be what I said in the third choice. I think it would be. A player that's going to be able to come in and start games because that that's that's what you need after wanting somebody to challenge those two. There's no point bringing somebody in who isn't going to be an option for like if we even don't look too far ahead, but even Europe next season. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We need someone who's going to come in and be able to be effective doing that. So I I think it would be a first choice, but we just need to wait and see. Speaking of people that, that maybe need to to start games, um, we're going to come on to Stephen Welsh because there's more reports coming out that that. Potentially, there's there's um, 
clubs wanting him on loan, Aidan. But first of all, I'm just going to flat this up from Peter Morrison, just noting that James Forrest got his 100th assist for Celtic at the weekend when he flicked the ball back to Callum McGregor for the goal. Um, joins Henrik Larson and Jimmy Johnston, I think statistically, is the only players to have 100 goals and 100 assists. Not bad company. <laughs> not bad, hi, not bad. Do you think, uh, is this coming to, <clears throat> coming to like um, bearing fruit now, where Forrest, when he's not injured, when he's not needed to play two, three times a week, this is the kind of contribution he can make. It might not be that he starts all the time, might not even be that he scores that hat-trick like he did against Hibs all the time, but smaller contributions, maybe off the bench or maybe in cup games, is, is kind of why he agreed to a new two-year deal. Yeah, I, I would say so. I think given James Forrest's age, even though he's maybe not the oldest player in the world, the injuries that he's had probably add another sort of couple of years, etc. Mm -hmm. sort of the wear and tear of his, his body, etc. I, I think this is probably the yesterday was the best sort of example of what James Forrest can produce. Because uh, even near the end, they had that loan. I think he, he beat two or three players and he took the ball. It was like he was going to take the ball at the corner. I think he ended up trying to, and he ended up winning a corner from it. That mm -hmm. just sort of killed a bit of time at the end. Even though Celtic went under too much pressure from Aberdeen, but things like that, I thought it was. That's exactly what, personally, I, I would like to see from James Forrest. Now, and don't get me wrong, he can start from the games and still, and still contribute. We've seen his hat-trick against Tibbs, etc. Mm -hmm. But overall, if the majority of his sort of cameos, or sort of appearances this season, where all the other winners are fit, I know Haxmanovic wasn't available yesterday, if, if he's coming on, getting an assist like that, and bringing a sort of controlled nature to the game way on, when it's to win a match or just see it out, I, I think that's perfect. Obviously, the comments mentioned there that run down the wing mm. from Forrest. But yeah, I, I, for me, Sean, I thought that was exactly what I would see James Forrest doing, to be honest. Uh, it was also, as Gary McDowell points out, I will get Stephen Wells, by the way, I've not forgotten. Uh, 200 goals uh, under Ange Postecoglou, 200 competitive goals. Uh, if you keep your eyes, if you subscribe to the newsletter later on, I'm breaking it down. I'm breaking all 200 goals down. Uh, and it can. Uh, well, you'll see. You'll see when you, if you subscribe to it. It'll go on the website tomorrow, but if you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll get it tonight. Uh, yeah, 200 goals, Aidan. As opposed to Coglu, was, was asked after it, what, what does that say about your team that you've scored 200 goals since you come in and 100 are at home and 100 are away? And in a kind of typical as opposed to Coglu fashion, he just says, yeah, we score goals. <laughs> <laughs> no, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that, the interview clip, to be fair. Yeah, it, the stats are excellent under Ange and it's no surprise that they're reaching those numbers when you look at some of the scores across. Uh, if you look at some of the scores across these two seasons, really, I mean, 9 0, Dundee United comes to mind, 4 0 against Rangers, 6 1 against Tibbs. That's just the decent games, but probably ones that are slipping my mind. I think there was 6 0 at the end of the season against Motherwell as well, wasn't there? So uh, there's, been, there's been a lot of really, really strong performances, but yeah, the, the goals tally the goals has been excellent. You can't fault it. Uh, Patrick McLaughlin just coming back in with a wee query about uh, the James Forrest start. When did statistics for assists become a thing? Pretty sure those old players are not getting the proper credit. I tend to agree with you, Patrick, because I'm not I'm not entirely sure um, how they're how they're counted for older players. Because I know when I when when we done working on Lisbon Lions anniversary stuff back in May, Tony spoke to John Clark. I done a kind of accompanying piece just going through all the different rounds and and I I tallied up the goals and assists just for that European Cup run, and that was basically me trawling through match reports from the time and seeing who, like, presuming that they were correct as well, of course, seeing who supplied the ball for the goals, that kind of thing. Uh, so it is quite difficult for, for um, players from yesteryear, but 
evidently someone must have tallied up Jimmy Johnston's assists because he played in that era and, and, and he's been credited with a lot more than 100 assists. So I do take your point. And it also reminds me of a thing. I think Alison mentioned it on here when she was on before, but when she was working for Celtic, uh, Lubo Maravchik asked for her help to tally up his assists because it wasn't something that was tracked as often back then. Even even in the early 2000s, it wasn't something that was really tracked. And she had to do the same thing, had to go back through all the Celtic views, all the match reports, and try and come to a number of how many assists he had for Celtic and stuff. Um, which is pretty interesting. That's the kind of thing I do like doing. But, um, having to do it by hand through through different um, different Celtic views and stuff must have been some chore. But I, I do take your point, Patrick. Uh, and else to add about the Forest or the goals, Aidan, before we move on to Stephen Wells? Uh, just uh, I thought he, McGregor's finish was absolutely superb. And uh, I know and prior to that in the match, quite a few players had had sort mm-hmm. of maybe poor attempts is a bit harsh, but attempts either weren't, weren't beating the first man or the keeper was just so easily collecting them. So it was really good to see a sort of high quality strike like that under a lot of pressure. And uh, that just shows you what McGregor can even bring from a forward perspective. You really see the pass, the pass network for that game on Saturday. As much as we're saying he was playing deep and he was playing the six, he was playing in their half. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, it was. I think one of those games where it's only one of the centre backs. It's really on average in their own half and then the keeper. Um, but yeah, moving on to Stephen Welsh. As I said, we were talking about players that maybe need to start. There's been reports emerging. I think the Daily Record, Scott Burns at the Record, has said that I think FC Porto are the latest to express an interest, uh, which is an interesting one, Aidan. Uh, is it sensible for him to go on loan now? Or would you rather see maybe how it goes in the summer? Uh, I think with obviously, I know Kobayashi can't play until January, but I think with him coming in, there's now feasibly potentially four players in front of Stephen Welsh. Obviously, Maurice Jens is only on loan. We don't know if he's going to be signed up or not, so he could potentially leave in the summer. Then there's only three ahead, which is, which is still quite a lot, to be fair. But I... I could maybe see him uh, moving on uh, either in January or the summer, or whether it's a loan or a permanent deal. Uh, if it's Porto as well, uh, obviously that's quite... Uh, it's, a, it's a big club, etc., isn't it? So mm-hmm. if, if they're coming in and they've been able to promise him a really good, either a really good pathway to the first team or potentially regular first-team football, but we don't, obviously don't know what the sort of discussions are, if, if there are any going on. I think it's probably as, as quite a difficult one. I, I do like Stephen Welsh, but I just think that even if we just take the centre-half situation right now, yeah. obviously this sort of maybe next few games is a bit of an exception because Kobe Ashi can't play, but if we take it after that, potentially four players in front of you is, is, is quite a lot. I know players can get injured, but like you can, you've can seen with Carter Bickles and Starfield, we're both injured at one point this season, so it can happen. But... I think I can maybe see him moving on, Sean, to be honest. On loan or permanent? Maybe loan to start off with, yeah. I suppose maybe loan. Uh, but I think longer term, I think he, he could move on permanently, to be honest. Well, his contract's till 2025, so there's there's some leeway there if they want to just send him on loan and see how it does. Even if it ends up, it's just to try and get a, a kind of price for him rather than coming back and playing. He's also homegrown, you've got to remember that. Uh, Edward Driver saying, uh, Edward Diver, sorry, saying, love Big Welsh, he would run through a brick wall. Uh, good luck to him. David Gillespie saying it would be good for Welsh to go out on loan and play regular football. He reckons that he's got to focus on physicality and decision-making. Uh, but there's a player in there. I tend to agree with David. I think there is a player in there. As with any, and I, I'm saying this as a young, I'm saying young player, and I know he's, he's, he's 22, um, 
so it's not quite the same as a like a Rocco Vata, but it's the same it's the same rationale. You need to look at the depth in front of you. Is there a prospect of him genuinely getting a run in the team like he got at the start of last season? I would say probably not. Carter Vickers is immovable. Um, he's just not unless he's injured, he is playing. Then you've got, as you mentioned, you've got new a new defender in UK Kobayashi who is naturally left footed, which might play into the thinking because Carter Vickers is the right centre back. So anybody that partners him is going to need to play left centre back, which Welsh has adapted to not bad. Considering he was only really right centre back and right back before, he was never really a left centre back. Carl Starfelt has adapted all right there as well. Um, now you've got the kind of issue of Maric Jens as well, Aiden, who's only about a year and a half, I think, older than Stephen Welsh, but he's on loan. Now, do you put it this way? Does, does signing Kobayashi make it less likely that they're going to sign Maric Jens? Uh, it's, a, it's a probably a difficult one. Ah. Uh... I think, <clears throat> yeah, it probably does. It probably does, to be fair. Uh, if Ange sees Welsh as somebody who's still going to, what he wants in the team, that, or not in the team, maybe start maker, but somebody who mm-hmm. he wants an option off the bench and an important player for the squad, uh, whether that's to do with the, the homegrown thing or not, or genuinely because he, he rates him as a player, which I think he does to an extent because he, he does always talk him up, etc. Mm-hmm. If that is the case, then... Yeah, I would say it makes it unlikely that Jens would be signed in the summer. If Andrew longer term is looking at Starfelt, is looking at Carter Vickers, Starfelt, and then Kobayashi with Welsh as a sort of two behind it, it probably makes it unlikely then that Jens would sign. If Welsh is potentially moving on, whether that be January or the summer, then obviously you would need to look. Maybe it would be Jens would be somebody that they would consider buying. Obviously, we've discussed about Jens' performances and that. Uh, been maybe a wee bit up and down at times he's, he's been positive and then he's maybe mm-hmm. uh, he's probably played a bit more football than a lot of people would have been expecting as well given that uh, at one point Starfelt and Carter Vickers were both injured as we, we just touched on but yeah uh, it probably does make it a wee, a wee bit more unlikely that it will sign Max Stark saying uh, he would rather buy Jens and sell Welsh uh, and then point out that there's not that much between them in terms of age Um I, I mean, I don't know where I really sit on it because I think Maurice Jens is doing well enough for a loan player that you would consider the, you could you'd consider making it permanent. But then the fact that Yuki Kobayashi's been signed, unless someone else leaves, can you justify signing another centre back that you know would probably need to be played, uh, especially when the the other centre back you're talking about is a homegrown player that meets that quota quota as well. So, I think it's an interesting one. I have put a link, or I am putting a link. To Stuart Ross did a, a deep dive during the break, kind of preempting that maybe Stephen Welsh would be talked about for a loan move when Kobayashi signed. Um, and he's kind of dug into the data and tried to identify not just where he could go, but places that would actually develop him as a player as well. So he might mirror in certain ways the way Celtic play or the league style might help him develop facets of his game that he needs to develop. Um, I think off the top of my head, there was one in Italy one in Belgium, and I think there was one in Portugal, but I don't. It wasn't Porto. I don't think. I don't think it, it, it suggested Porto. In fact, I think it suggested uh, Victoria, where um, Mikey Johnston is. I think he was hoping for a link up with him. But um, moving on from that, um, I suppose it's time to, to mention Mister Messi, is it? Ah, uh, the, <laughs> the predictions. Look away now, Mister Tony Haggerty. Um, there's one missing from this actually. To, uh, from, uh, Aiden, sorry, I done the same thing. Um, I never put the Golden Glove tips in this, but I did actually call it. You can look it up on the on the website. I'm not. I'm not making it up. 
Uh, I, I tipped Emiliano Martinez of Argentina Thank to get you. it. He did get it. Um, I've ended up actually, Tony, uh, Chris, sorry, Aiden. I've ended up, I've ended up with Argentina, Messi, and the Golden Glove. But you did, must be said, hats off to you. You have you have dominated this predictor from the get go because you got Argentina, Messi for the Golden Ball, Mbappe for the Golden Boot, Juranovic to go furthest as well. Um, congratulations! There wasn't a prize apart from a hat tip, but you've got the hat tip. <laughs> cheers, cheers! I had, I should probably mention, I had Lloris for. Uh, golden gloves. Uh, to be honest, I didn't actually check in how far he was in the other, but I know France had conceded a, a decent amount of goals, so I don't know if he was in the top three or four of that. But yeah, no, overall, I, I was relatively happy with, with those predictions. Obviously, we've kind of dis- discussed it uh, quite a bit at this point, but I think me and you both wanted to see Argentina win it, obviously, yeah. given by the predictions, but just personally as well for. Um, Messi and he, he was excellent last night, wasn't he, Sean? He was superb. Oh yes, was I? I I just kind of wanted to see Tony spontaneously combust when when the only argument against him was was fulfilled. But uh, I it was <laughs> it was overall, despite the fact I wasn't particularly up for the World Cup. Yeah, uh, when it started, I did end up enjoying what I, what I watched of it. I obviously enjoyed the final result as well. Um, and yeah, but what what I would ask is, I don't know if you saw Roy Keane talking yesterday, but. Despite the fact it ended up a very dramatic, um, memorable final, arguably the ideal scenario, certainly for, for people of our persuasion that, that like Messi um, with him winning it. But Roy Keane was saying it was still stained. Um, do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, no, <clears throat> I, do, I do agree with that, to be honest, because <clears throat> <and> nobody. <laughs> David Gillespie, Tony has had an absolute shocker. I, I, I don't want to kick the guy when he's not here, but he'll be Belgium. watching and he'll be shaking his head. His Belgium shout was was unfortunate, but uh, I I do agree. I do agree with what Roy King was saying there. That mm-hmm. has has stained to an extent for the reasons that we 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 we've discussed it at length. It's, it's been discussed at length on various sort of channels, etc. I think we've uh, and we mentioned it briefly, and there was one of the articles that I. We'd, I'd have done one of us did on the World Cup talking about the Celtic players. I think we'd mentioned it as well during that. So, yeah, that is always going to be sort of tainted to an extent because of that reason, because of what goes on in Qatar. Aye, uh, Roy Keane was, was bang on there, to be honest. And I, I, I've been a bit hypocritical probably when I say that because I've talked about how I have enjoyed watching the World Cup mm-hmm. more than more than I thought I was going to do. But you can't deny that it is tainted to an extent. I, I think the, the way that Keane put it is probably the best way I could put it as well when he was saying that, that there was never going to be any doubt with the quality of players on show that yeah, the World no, Cup football cool. part of it was always going to be enjoyable. But as he said... Um, off the part and the fact that it was in Qatar and I realise he's saying that from Qatar but yeah. uh, so there's always that aspect to it but I, I do agree with him in general I think there's always going to be that that kind of uh, stain on it and Max Stark putting up a comment here that he was not a fan of the robe that Messi was forced to wear I think even the, even the most understanding um, of people would, would see that for what it was which was FIFA and Qatar making it about FIFA and Qatar rather than the, rather than the winners just to make sure people remember that this World Cup was in Qatar, Aiden, I think. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, enjoyed it for the football. Agree with Roy Keane in general. Um, and well done on your predictions because that was... Uh, I don't know if you're would. I don't know if you a gambling man, but I'll put them back up again. But that would be some uh, some bet there if you permed them. Argentina, Mbappe, Messi and Juranovic. I don't actually know if you can bet on furthest of a team to go far, but I'm sure you could go somewhere. I had Mbappe for... Uh... 
top goal scorer. That was my only one actually. But I, I didn't, I didn't have any more bets. I should have, should have put four of those on, but unfortunately, I didn't. Patrick McLaughlin saying he had much the same as you, apart from he had Morocco as a dark horses. Yeah. That was what a shout then. What a shout. Well done. Very good. Uh, they, they were, they're, they're very much the I, very much the dark horses of all dark horses. I would say because they, they, they finished fourth. It was um, superb. Uh, speaking of the World Cup, before we wrap it up, there's a wee article I, I shoved it up earlier on. Uh, it's video of Josip Juranovic and the Croatia team back in Zagreb where over 80,000 people were waiting for them. Aiden, they had a concert, they had open-top buses, uh, Modric addressed the crowd and, and different things. It was it looked like brilliant scenes and Juranovic looked as if he was enjoying it despite his calf injury. Yeah, I, that, that, was, uh, that was good to see. It just shows you how, even though obviously they didn't win the World Cup, Croatia, that that meant so much to the fans. And I mean, I think we have mentioned this before, but mm-hmm. their record since first time they qualified for the World Cup was 1998, and their their record since then has been superb. I think it's two third place finishes and uh, uh, the final, obviously, last time out in 2018. So, mm-hmm. yeah, f- fair play to Croatia and fair play to Juranovic. He was excellent during the World Cup. Uh, and I, no, well done to him getting that third place medal, obviously. Yes, Croatia just in general is that since they became an independent nation, but well, have been superb at international tournaments in general. Their the sporting prowess in general for such a small country is astounding, really. And I, we obviously extend our congratulations to Juranovic. I'm sure you extend it further than me because he got you another one on your predictor there, Aiden. But um, I think we'll we'll call it there for the day. That's, that's yeah, yeah. 35 minutes nearly, and that's without Tony as well. So I think we've done all right there. Um, Good stuff all around. Thanks, uh, thanks, Aidan, for your contribution. And uh, thanks, as always, guys, for your comments and your questions and all the wee debates that you, you've put in. Very much appreciated. Uh, remember, as I said at the start, we're uh, running a pound-for-two-month deal at the moment. Uh, Christmas deal, Christmas cracker. Or as Tony said in the wee video that we put on Twitter, pull your own Christmas cracker. Um, the link is in the comments. It's in the description as well. Uh, and apart from that, thank you again, and we'll all catch up with you tomorrow. Cheers. Cheers, guys.